Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We usually like to start our services out by saying something positive, and this is the day that the Lord has made, and I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. And of course, my brother's been talking a little bit about rejoicing, how it's rejoicing all over again, fresh every day. So we're rejoicing over the joy, even the joy we had yesterday. Um, I just want to spend a few minutes with you this morning and um, share a couple thoughts. Uh, living in the world that we live in, sometimes we become so bewildered at the ignorance that, that surrounds us, that parades itself in intelligence. And uh, I was listening to a, a program the other day, and they were talking about intelligent design over uh, evolution. Of course, intelligent design would be uh, God created. It would be God brought the worlds into existence. And, and one of the scientists asked a, one of the, the ministers, they had a sort of like charismatic uh, minister on, and then there was a Catholic priest, well, um, one was com somewhat competent and the other one wasn't quite as competent as the other, and I won't say which is which, but um, they asked the, one of the pastors, they said, can you give us any scientific facts or evidence that there is uh, intelligent design or that there's a God? And she, she gave a pretty typical answer. Well, she talked about how when we took prayer out of schools, look what happened to our society. And it really didn't answer the question, and I was somewhat bewildered. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get these thoughts in my head where I start arguing with these guys in my mind, and I'm so upset of things that I'd like to say. And he said, well, if I can't see it, if I can't smell it, if I can't touch it, can't feel it, you're talking about his five senses. And I, wa I wanted to say... Where did your five senses come from? The senses that you want to use that give you the ability to uh, ingest intelligence, or so you say, where did they come from? If it's true, the rock that I'm standing on eventually is going to be smarter as you, as smart as you. Maybe it is, possibly. But I, I looked at all the evidence around me that denotes intelligent design. I, I would have, I thought about the table that he was, had his hands on and the chair that he sat on, the energy that's inside the material that, that he's sitting on, the nuclear fusion possibilities of explosive energy just waiting there. How everything that I see, everything that I experience denotes God's presence all around me. And I think that since we're sometimes educated in a world that is trying to devoid itself of anything that relates to God, that we fall into the snare of Satan and we don't see the things that we should see. You know, the, the, the heavens declares handiwork. Everywhere that I look, I see God's hand upon things in my life and experiences that are waiting to be uh, experienced but unless I'm looking, I will never find. 
And I go back, and I, I want to start this morning with Romans, the eighth chapter. And I, I like to talk on the topic of hope uh, lots of times because of without it, where would any of us be? Romans 8, verse 24 and verse 25. Notice that Paul, when he's writing this, we talk about salvation as Christians and we, we talk about repentance and we talk about baptism in Jesus' name and we talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost as those three most important steps in our uh, coming to God and our conversion. But there are a lot of other things that come into play in our spiritual health and in our spiritual walk for God that if we do not have, we become spiritually weak. And one of those that is most important, even more so than faith, because without this one, you could not have faith, is hope. Hope precedes faith. And Paul writes, for we are saved by hope. And then he stops, I like at least in our English grammar he stops, there's a colon there. He says, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what does he yet hope for? So what he's saying is, if your hope is based on physical evidence, if you're always looking for something to justify your faith or your hope, you're going to be disappointed because hope that is seen is not hope. Hope believes in the things that it does not see. That's why it's the sister to faith. And then he says in verse 25, but if we hope for that, we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And that's an interesting thought too. If I can hope for the things that I do not see, I can, and if I believe them in my heart, I will have patience to wait for it. And I like to tell the story, and my brother tells story all the time about us growing up, so um, maybe I can tell one on him uh, this morning. And this is a good one. This is nothing derogatory. <laughs> I have to tell you this. Uh, this is, this is another little story that I just thought of. You know, we never grow up inside. We're, we're always kids. It's just that we can't cash the same checks that we did when we were 30 now with our bodies. And me and my brother and uh, sister Kylie were in Milwaukee, and we were at a business. We were getting ready for some things that uh, needed to take place with my mother, for my mother and possibly her passing. And we had walked upstairs in this business, and um, after we'd finished, concluded what we were doing, we started to walk down the steps. And Rick and Liz were walking down the steps in front of me. And I had this uncontrollable urge <laughs> to jump on his back. And I, I, I thought to myself, this is crazy, but... When I was a kid, that was be the first thing that I would have done. I always, didn't I? I always attacked you from the rear. <laughs> I, was, I was a panther, and I would have jumped on his back. And I started laughing, and I, I told him, him and Liz on the steps, I said, I know this is crazy, 
But I had this stupid thought about just jumping on your back like I used to when we were kids. And I would do it going down the stairs. I would jump them any place I could. But I said, you know, if I did it now, we'd probably both end up dying. <laughs> but I remember uh, as growing up the anticipation uh, on Friday nights that my, my dad drove for Royal Transit in Milwaukee. Um, you probably have never heard of it, but they were in existence for 25 or 30 years. And every Friday night, he would stab, stop at the tavern and he'd cash his check. And uh, he would buy us kids a chunky bar. And every Friday night, me and Rick, I don't know how old we were. We must have been smaller, maybe about seven, eight years old. We would go to the window um, in the corner of our house and we would look for the headlights of my dad coming home because we knew Friday night was the night that he brought candy. Well, he didn't oftentimes come home at the same time and we would oftentimes sit there by the window for quite a long period of time. And I'm sure my mother was thrilled about it because we were out of her hair. But what was it that caused us to wait? We had faith and trust that tonight dad was going to give to us what he promised he would. And we were willing to wait because we had hoped that he would bring it home. And that's really a real rudimentary uh, example of what Paul's saying. But if we have hope that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. If I've experienced God's provision in the past, which I have over and over again, is it unusual for me to be willing to be patient and wait for the next promise to come, even though it may be delayed in coming? I, I went back and I, to Psalm 27, and I want to read that real quick. Now, we know that David's writing this psalm, and of course, we're well aware that David had a lot of adversity in his life, a lot of, lot of tribulation. I was just going to read a scripture or two from this, but when I looked at the chapter, I thought, I need to read the whole thing. Notice this, the Lord is my light, and he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Oh, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple." For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breath breathe out cruelty. Now notice the last two verses. This is where I really wanted to read, but I wanted you to get the foundation of what David was saying. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Again, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Digest that. If I wouldn't have believed that God was going to restore me and deliver me, I no doubt would have fallen. And then verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I can't help but believe that that's a, a, an invitation for all of us this morning that may be going through some things that we're impatient about having, get, having some being solved. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen thine heart. I say, wait on the Lord. I, I think about the three Hebrew children and about the situation they found themselves in. And I know we, we go back there quite often, but I want to show you just a little bit of how hope allowed them to find a place in history, to find a place in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, to be an encouragement to us all these years later. I was talking with some of our residents last week, and we were talking about the fiery furnace, and I said this was a big event. When Nebuchadnezzar built this statue that was 90 foot tall, and it was made of gold, and he had invested so much of his resources, and I, some people wondered what the image looked like. It probably looked a lot like him, because these, these, uh, these kings, they, they actually received some type of worship from their from their uh, constituents. So when he invited all of his rulers and uh, magistrates and everyone of importance to this dedication, this was a big event. And when he decreed that everyone should bow down and worship the image, it would have been a very serious break in protocol for someone not to do it. Now, if you remember when Nebuchadnezzar uh, conquered Judah, he took a lot of the Hebrew children and he integrated them into positions of leadership. And that's how we learn about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're just a few of those, the, those Hebrew children that were integrated into a Babylonian leadership. So I'm going to assume that on that day when the Nebuchadnezzar 
had his dedication for a statue, that there were a lot more Hebrews there than what we see standing. But let's look at the three that did. Daniel, the third chapter, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace that what God will be able to rescue from you from my hand. Now, I, I want you to look at, at their answer because it goes back to Romans, the eighth chapter, where the principle that Paul's talking about that Christians, any person of faith should have. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Wow. What, is it, what does that sentence tell you? He believes, they believe, that God is able to deliver them from the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar. And he will deliver us. Is that faith? Remember, hope and faith, they go together. Can't have one without the other. And he'll deliver us from your majesty's hand. And of course, we we know that when they were cast into the burning furnace, that they were delivered. The flames never touched them. They never smelled like smoke. God did deliver them. But what was it that caused them to stand up when no one else would? What was it that caused three young gentlemen to stand up in front of all of the leadership of the greatest empire on earth and before the king that ruled it and stand for God? It was hope. It was faith. It was hope in God and trust in God and faith. Things not tangible, things that you can't just learn from a book, things that you have to have in your heart. Now, many of us believe, but we believe in that our situation can't change. See, we can believe in the negative aspect. If, and if we do believe that our situation that we're involved in cannot change, we lose hope. And if we lose hope, we can never live in faith. You know, having hope is refusing to give up. If you have hope, you do not give up. It's it's like having spiritual tenacity. It's like having that bulldog faith that we've talked about in the past past that just holds on until it gets what it wants. Hope will take you through the darkest night. Let me tell you a story. Here's this young guy. He's 19, 20 years old. 
and he wants to become a millionaire. That's his whole dream. He wants to be a millionaire. And he finds a girl, and she wants to become a millionaire. They both want to become millionaires. They want to become millionaires right away. Unfortunately, they live in the early 1920s, and I can mention their name to you, and it probably won't ring a bell, but Charles and Esther Darrow. So they started to try to, uh, to make that million dollars, and in the, you know what happened in 1929? The Great Depression hit, and everything fell out, and the stock markets and everything crashed, and, and Chuck got, Charles got real discouraged. It, it looked like his dream was absolutely crushed. There's no way in the world I'll be a millionaire. People, there, there's no money. And he talked to his wife, Esther, and he said, I'm sorry, honey, when you married me, I told you that I'd make you a millionaire, and here we are, and we're broke, and we don't have any aspects, and I don't see where we'll ever get out of debt, and if you want to leave me and find somebody that can support you better, I encourage you to do that. But Esther said, no, we're not going to do that. Every night, we're going to get together, and we're going to plan on how we're going to spend the million dollars that we're going to earn in the future. And we're going to talk about how we're going to spend it every night. So every night they got together and they talked about how they would spend the money. And then Chuck got this great idea about printing money. So he started printing money. And it was play money, of course. It wasn't he was trying to counterfeit or anything. And after a while, he decided, after he printed the money, that he'd start making some houses and hotels and he made a game out of it, and they would play the game at night. And after a while, it, they thought, well, maybe the game would be something that they could sell. And every one of you know what the game is right away. It was Monopoly. But do you, do you realize that he started that game because he refused to give up his dream? He, he still wanted to hold on to hope and faith and well, he went to Parker Brothers, and he offered them the game, and they said, well, it's a boring, boring game, and we don't have anything to do with it. So he walked away from Parker Brothers, and he found another company that would handle it, but he had to invest his own money to get it going, so he spent what little money he had left, and it took off. And then Parker Brothers called him back up, and they said, Chuck, hey, listen, come back in. We want to talk to you about your game, Monopoly, and we want to buy it from you. And guess how much they paid him for it? One million dollars. The point of the story is, without hope, and without a dream, and without faith, where would this story have ended up? Where would it have ended up if Esther wouldn't have said, we're going to live like millionaires even though we don't have a million dollars? Even though I may not have what I want, I can still live at a level that God wants me to. I may not have the desire of my prayer. My prayer has gone out. I may not have got an answer, but I can live like I have the answer. In Zechariah, the ninth chapter, in verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He's just. 
and having salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a colt. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bull shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also by the, by, by the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. Now notice this. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. I, I want to concentrate on the last verse. A prisoner of hope, what, what does that mean? It means I am completely surrounded by hope. I'm locked in by hope. I'm its prisoner. And God says, because you have faith and you have hope, I will reward you double. Now, do I have an example of that in Scripture? Absolutely I do. I could tell you about Job. I could tell you about how Job lost everything. He was a Charles Doro. Lost everything. Lost his family. Lost his health. Lost his dog. Wife was mad at him. What else could go wrong? But God, in the end, mentions in the book of Job that he, he restored everything double. If you hold on to hope, and you continue to walk in faith, even though you don't understand why you're, you're going through your circumstances, God says, I will reward you double. Absolutely. Be a prisoner of hope. Now, I look at Proverbs 13, the 12th verse. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. In other words, if you lose hope, what happens to you spiritually? You get sick. But when your desire cometh through your hope, it's a tree of life. I think sometimes God wants us to let go of the things that we have in our hands so he can change it into something that he can use. Because, first of all, God's not going to share his glory with any other. He isn't going to do that. And I, I think, for example, about Moses and, and his rod, how, how interesting that story is. Here Moses left Egypt, and he probably picked up the stick on the way out to Midian, where he met his father and future father-in-law, and where he stayed for 40 years, and he had this stick, they called it his rod, and a shepherd's rod was important. He used it in all different ways of leading and guiding and correcting the sheep, and it was something that he was more familiar with than his own clothing, because clothing wears out, but the rod keeps going on. But when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, it's interesting to note that God speaks to him and he tells him to take the rod and to throw it, away, throw it down. 
Well, now if you're a shepherd, your rod is like a toolbox to a mechanic. You use it for everything. You beat off wolves. It's got a crook to pull the sheep back. It's got a lot of uses. Throw down what you're most familiar with and let me show you what I can do with it. Well, we know what happens in this story. He throws the rod down and it turns into a serpent. And he runs from his rod. Wow, I didn't know that could happen. That's dangerous. But God wants him to realize that even though it's a serpent, he has power over the rod, over the serpent. Pick it up by the tail. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be a redneck thing to do. Pick up a tail of a snake when it's poisonous by the tail. Gives the head the ability to bite you. God says, I'm going to show you that I have power over that. He picked it up and it turned back into his rod. Do you realize what he used that rod for? From There was never any miracle in his life up until, until the time he threw the rod down. The rod was just an inordinate piece of wood. But when he gave it to God and he cast it at his feet, it was the rod that he went into Egypt with and he threw down before Pharaoh. It was the rod that was there when all of the plagues, the ten plagues came against Egypt. It was the rod that was lifted up over the Red Sea and split the Red Sea. It was the rod that struck the rock. It was the rod that when the Amalekites came out to fight with them, it says Moses took his rod, and when he held up his rod, the enemy was not able to conquer Israel, and they won as long as his rod was up. Sometimes in our lives, God wants us to take the thing that we're leaning on, the thing that we we gather our support and we trust in, and he wants us to cast it down before him so we can start living by faith and not trust in our own ability. Because the more we trust in ourselves, the more we get lost in our lives and in the world, and the more confusion and discouragement and depression darkens our life. But if I can live in hope and faith, giving God what I have, and letting him change it and use it for his glory, Praise God, let it be. I was talking to someone at the hospital yes, the other day, and I don't, she's not here, I don't think, this morning. Um, and she, she told me, she says, well, I'm so sorry for all the things that you had to go through this last year. And I realized that last year, I, I'm doing taxes now, and I said, wow, wait, this was a rough year. Boy, I realized that. And um, I said to her, you know what, as I look back over 2013, and I think many of you will agree with me, yes, it was tough, but it was worth it because of the changes in me. And I I can't tell you exactly all of them or what they are, but spiritually, when my life was thrown down into a place where I had to trust God and I had to have hope and faith in him, it changed my viewpoint on life. 
which is valuable. It renewed hope. And now look where I am, walking and talking and praising God. But see, sometimes God wants you to cast down the thing you're leaning on so he can show you how powerful he can make it through his ability and not yours. But until you do it, you're just going to be carrying a stick. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And I keep repeating this first because I repeat it to myself. I preach it to myself every day. Lean not upon your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He's going to direct your paths. Have hope in God for you're saved by it and it leads to faith and faith leads to the miraculous. If we can start hoping like Charles and Esther did, if we're planning on on a, a large congregation, a large influx of people into our congregation, maybe we should already start, be, start making sure that we have room for them or just start planning like they were planning. It's going to happen. Praise God. Well, thank you for listening to me. It's been a, a joy to share this thought with you this morning and the Lord bless and keep you the rest of the service today. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.